Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Christina Warren, Senior Developer Advocate at GitHub, and I'm joined, as always, by Brianna Wu, Executive Director of Rebellion Pack. Simone de Rochefort um, kissed too many people in Italy. <laughs> I didn't know if we could share that, but that was her excuse. I mean, that this was her excuse. She didn't she, say she, not to share it. She didn't say not to share it. And frankly, I've never been prouder in my life. Anyway, yeah. Simone is sick. Um, I don't know if it's from kissing Italians or not. Um, it, it could have been the airplane. I don't know. Um, anyway, she's, you know, like recovering from vacation. Let's just say that. So so Simone, <laughs> well, no, actually, I really like that she kissed too many Italians. But That's the, what the, she told it. We're that recording is what she told us. accurately we are as recording per this. our group chat. She kissed too many Italians, and that's why she's not here. And again, I've never been prouder. Um, so uh, Simone's not with us today, uh, but we have a great show. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money and Woo. Squarespace. So uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things today. We're going to be talking about um, ChatGPT, uh, uh, their new API, and I guess some of the, the ongoing excitement slash drama slash... Uh, uh, you know, just uh, continued hype over that space. We're going to be talking about Binance, who um, is making some FTX-looking moves. For dessert, it is our favorite topic. It is Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. And uh, I think uh, Bri and I is late the, the status of our bet because <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get there. But, uh, we'll get to it. Oh, I, my I, God. I, I, but but it's the, the, our bet, I think, is still unclear how that's going to go down. And uh, finally, for our Rocket Boosties, our booster segment, uh, we're going to be talking about something that um, – Basically, uh, how we can't you, tell. We can't talk about it. We can't you have talk to about subscribe it. Subscribe to it. You, you, you need and to subscribe you have to for promise it. not to snitch. Yeah, you, you, it's a topic we would prefer you not snitch to Simone about. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's um, all the ways that she's failed us, and, and all the things that that we we can do to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future. So um, we have a plan. We have a plan. You definitely want to want to tune into the, to our to our booster segment on this. Uh, but, uh, first things first, before we get into chat GPT, uh, I know that you have a really big movie week this week and I'm very excited for you. We'll be talking about that later, but, um, cocaine bear. (gasps) It was so good. I love this movie. It was so good. So, so if you missed our booster segment from last week, uh, you can go back and subscribe and listen, but we did talk about it a little bit before we, we got into the booster segment. Cocaine Bear came out. Uh, this is the ridiculous movie that I- I'm going to say it. It was better than it had any right to be. Yeah. Yeah. What really, I really enjoyed struck it. me is I saw Quantum Mania, which in my estimation is the worst Marvel movie, period. And <laughs> then you go see Cocaine Bear. And it is so much like it's a really surprisingly character driven film, right? Yeah, really Where fun. every single character has like a moment to like have a motivation and a backstory and connect with other people and grow. And like the character development from this $100 million Marvel movie is just complete garbage compared to Cocaine Bear, in my view. So, no, I, I, I couldn't agree. Um, I, did, I didn't see um, uh, Ant Man, but I was. I'll watch it on Disney Plus. Uh, I didn't know if I needed another Ant Man to be honest with you. Um, it's not good. But 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 hey, look, I'm I'm happy for all these things and uh, to to happen. But I was mostly like, I, I saw Cocaine Bear opening night. There were a lot of families there, 
which really, really pleased me because it was like, <laughs> it was it was like a, well, it was not a lot. I saw like three or four 12 year old boys and their parents. And honestly, that's good parenting because yeah. that's a, it, honestly I'm not going to. This is not a movie for for children. There was a politician, not a politician, a, a doctor who was tweeting about the horrors of cocaine bear and how it was encouraging cocaine usage. Oh and my like, god! And like, a clearly just watch the trailer. B, this is an R-rated movie. No one is saying bring your kids to this. But C, I will say this: if you if you like your twelve year old son or daughter is really looking forward to a ridiculous movie and you know them because you're their parent and you think they're mature enough. It's a fun time. I would have, my my parents never would have taken me to see this movie because they never would have wanted to see it, but they (sighs) absolutely would have let me watch it on HBO or rent it without any qualms. And I, uh, so I, I salute those parents and I hope those kids had a great time because I did. Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Banks, you know, she she um, directed this. And she I did. Just, she, she did I, a great I job. The world of her. So. I, I, I love her. The, the acting uh, was great. Again, these were like real actors who <laughs> were in a ridiculous situation. And it seemed like everybody had a great time. And uh, the, the writer has said that, that he sees other potential sequels, maybe other cocaine adult animals, which I think would be great. What if we had a cocaine whale? Oh. <gasps> Like not a cocaine shark because that's just Jaws, but a cocaine whale. Co- the, the, yeah, I'll have to think whale. about it. There, yeah. There's a lot of possibility. Co- cocaine kind squirrel. Of, it kind of does open up the possibility for like two cocaine, two bear at the end. Yes, of it. but that's that's a whole. I don't want to spoil it. We're not going to spoil, it, but, but it, it it it's yeah. Oh yeah, yes, yes. It, it does open up the possibility for for for, for a sequel to Cocaine Two Bear. Uh, but uh, we we had a great time. All right. Getting into to potentially unhinged, but also great things. Uh, let's talk about chat GPT. Woo. So uh, first, the usual disclosure. Um, the company I work for, GitHub, has a partnership with OpenAI, the makers of chat GPT, for our product, GitHub Copilot. Additionally, um, the parent company of uh, uh, GitHub, Microsoft, where I used to work, but where I do still have stock, um, has uh, made a $10 billion plus investment in OpenAI, and so uh, from a uh, financial and like work standpoint, I am conflicted in as far as, insofar as I uh, I understand a lot about how this stuff works, and I think positively of it for the most part. So yeah. that's 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 my disclosure. I'm totally open to alternate uh, alternate opinions on that, but I I, I just want to put that out there. I I am not a uh, um, unaffiliated party. Uh, However, I think this does for this particular topic give me some good insight because I actually have a really good understanding of what was announced uh, this week and um, some of the stuff we're going to see. So, yeah, like planning for this topic, just to be really honest, um, I, I, I sometimes I read a topic and I'm like, wow, Christina's understanding of like um, developing an API and like charging developer tokens for it. She's going to have so much more insight about this <laughs> subject than I have. I'm just going to shut up and let <laughs> her, her share. So I understand you're conflicted, but I also think that's expertise that, you know, will, will be helpful. So I'm glad to have you on this week. Yeah, yeah, me too. So this, the topic this week is that um, OpenAI uh, launched a, a chat a GPT API. And this um, is, it, it's also an API for Whisper, which is their translation service, um, which is actually really great. So Whisper basically will let you upload um, audio. You can you can actually, Whisper is interesting. You can use the model, um, host it on their own systems, but you can also run it on your own systems. Um, and it, it does, uh, transcription, 
but it also does translation. So you could take something that is um, in English and translate it to another language or have something that's in Spanish and translate it to English. And the transcription is incredibly good. Like I know the English to English transcription is some of the best I've seen. And so, um, and it's, it's a really impressive model. It's also based on, on GPT, um, three and, and, and 3.5, uh, which is what powers, uh, uh, chat GPT as well. And so, um, chat GPT was launched in December is I think at this point, one of the fastest growing consumer tools that we've ever seen. Like it's, it's had over a hundred million users. Um, and, and I think that was in its first 30 days. It's ridiculous ridiculously, ridiculously popular to the point that we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, when the, the, the Bing stuff was announced. Um, I did finally get access to, to Bing. Uh, Bing has been neutered, all, although apparently there's now a switch where you can make it unhinged again, but um, uh, which this is, this is why we can't have nice things because when the robots are, are mean to us and insult us, that's actually awesome and we shouldn't ruin it. That's my take. Uh, don't be narcs. Um, but, but no, but the, the big news here is that OpenAI uh, launched this API for businesses, um, and, and for individual developers and the pricing on it is really, really good. Really, really good. Really good. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, um, it's, so it's, uh, uh, 0.002 cents per token. Uh, uh, and, and they charge it for, per, no, not per token, but per thousand tokens rather. And so, yeah. um, it, the, it's about 10 times cheaper than what its old uh, plans were. And what this is going to do, in my opinion, because there's a really big arms race to kind of set some context here for our listeners in these large language models. Uh, Google has been working on um, large language model stuff and um, the, the, the um, uh, you know, translator part of, of, of GPT, they arguably invented um, for more than a decade. Uh, Google has a, a service that is, I think, now in beta for select users. I haven't seen anyone who's had any access to it called Bard, which is a, a chat bot similar to ChatGPT. There are a number of uh, meta uh, is is investing big time into this. Um, this this is an area that is that is really, really hot. But OpenAI, I think, um, really did something smart by opening up this, this API to developers to allow people to build on top of their uh, tools and to have the pricing this way, because I think that we are going to see an absolute explosion. We've already seen tons of companies trying to integrate uh, ChatGPT-like things into their products, and some people even using the API as it existed um, with OpenAI's stuff to kind of try to hobble together ChatGPT-like things. But now that there's actually a proper API, uh, and and I've looked at the documentation, it's really good so far, and, and it's just start getting started. Uh, it, and, it, and it's this is, to me... Um, regardless of, of what company quote unquote wins, I've likened this moment with, with um, these large language models to an iPhone moment in tech. And I, I feel even more strongly about that seeing this API come out because I can anticipate the massive uh, amounts of, of products, both good and bad, that are going to be, you know, there's going to be a gold rush, so to speak, on this space. So I had a, I had a, first of all, 100% to everything you just said, but I wrote down some questions about sure. this that I, I had reading this article. So um, one of the things I don't understand is obviously chat GPT is, a, I, I would imagine at least, it's a scale of magnitude 
more uh, computationally expensive than um, like a normal search, right? Yes. Like for a normal search, you're indexing stuff. So how how on earth can you have a factor of this being 10 times cheaper when I have to imagine the computational load is so much higher? Is this to like lock people in and get people to use the technology? Is there some like efficiency of scale? How, how the hell do you do this when it seems like it must be so expensive? Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, I think part of the point would be that if you were to run this on your own, let's say that you had, you were trying to run your own large, large language model, you would not because um, each instance of people kind of interacting with, with ChatGPT, this is just what I've read. I don't have any inside information on this, but what I've read is that it takes something like like four, between four and six um, NVIDIA A100 GPUs to run these queries. And uh, for, for context, those are $15,000 a piece GPUs. Right. So, so you, yeah, you wonder, how can you do this? I have to think that part of this is the partnership with Microsoft because Microsoft, the, the, the money that Microsoft has given uh, OpenAI is essentially in compute. Um, that that's what that's what most of the money is is going towards is towards compute costs. Meaning that that um, all of the OpenAI models uh, run on Azure and in in Microsoft data centers and have been trained and have been optimized to work as well on on those hardware and software stacks as possible. So I think that it becomes maybe like an economy of scale thing where rather than you could conceivably if you were to rent things for like a prepaid period of a certain number of, of hours or or even like a yearly basis, you would have a certain price. But if you're doing things in bursts and you're saying, okay, we're going to do this on a kind of a per call basis, but we're going to sell it in, in these groups, there might be a way um, either to use it initially as a loss leader, because I don't know anything about what the um, margins are on this stuff. Um, although I can't imagine that they would be like too negative. Like I can't imagine that it, that, that it would be like too negative. Um, in, in terms of margin side, but but I don't know if this is, I don't know what the actual cost is, is what I'm trying to say. So I don't know how much the actual cost is compared to what they're charging. But I think to your secondary point, I think the big thing here is, yeah, we would, we would, would rather have people build using our stuff and getting to use our technology than use A, use someone else's or B, you know, if you are a company of a certain size because they, you know, announced, you know, partnerships with, with Shopify and Snap and other things, than them trying to build their own, right? Um, and so um, I think that that's, uh, I, I think that's the calculus here. That makes a lot of sense. Um, the other question I had is, um, so one of the more interesting, um, I don't know if you've seen this in your professional groups, uh, but everybody in my professional groups um, are like, People with careers that, you know, they're not household names, but, you know, they've done some stuff. They've, they've talked to some conferences. You know, they've got a Twitter with, you know, 5,000 people. And they keep asking ChatGPT to, like, write a biography for them, yeah. right? And in some cases, it's extremely accurate. Mm -hmm. And in some, it's got the uh, hallucination effect, right? Correct. It starts, like, doing that. So I guess my question is, you know, naturally, I think search is one of the first applications that I think about with this. Do, are there any safeguards or like what are some applications that you can think of to use with this that can you know use what this is good for, but also have some safeguards against the 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 downside, like the hallucination effect where it just makes stuff up? 
Totally. And I think that's a great question. And I think it depends on how it's being used, right? Like I would say that the pricing where this is at mm-hmm. is probably not um, where someone who is not Microsoft, for instance, would want to build a search engine, right? So uh, because uh, the way that these tokens work, so they're charging, you know, a uh, zero zero two cents uh, per thousand tokens, but a token is can even be a fragment of a word. So you could have a certain word could be like 13 tokens. Um, and so a query that you put out there could be 60 tokens or 100 tokens. It, oh, it could, really? It, it could be, yeah, exactly. So, oh. so, 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 so the way that this works is that each phrase or each word is, is tokenized in, into bits and bytes that are unique based on, on what its structure is. And so that's how the pricing works. And so if I was to ask something a question um, and it were to give me an answer, that whole process could could be sixty tokens, right? So it's not and 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 the the way that it's charged is both you know the um, what's uh, the input and the output. So from a, even 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 with the pricing as good as it is, I don't think that this is where you would want to necessarily be building a search engine. Some people will, I'm sure, um, have that stuff. And I think that for individuals who are just like interfacing with it every single day, if they were wanting to build their own tools, they could do that. But I think in terms of a commercial service, you would you would want to have limits just for your own costs. Um, but in terms of what it's good for, I think searches is up there because a lot of people do just ask already now. They, they use search engines to try to get answers to things um, and it, rather than trying to find things. And, and I think that that's a good aspect. But Rather than saying, like, write me a biography on so-and-so, which can work and cannot work, it really just kind of depends on the phrasing. It depends on, like, how up-to-date the information is um, and, and the the corpus that the chat GPT and OpenAI uses, uh, I think, goes back to uh, 2021. So it's not, like, up-to-date. This is one of the differences with with uh, what the Bing model is doing is the Bing model is, is more up-to-date. Um, they're, they're continuing to add things to it. But I think for things like summarization, of saying, can you summarize this, oh. you know, paragraph for me? So, so you could imagine a service where someone's saying, okay, I can take this three-pager. So talk about in typical business terms. I, I, I can give it this three-page document and I can now summarize this for you in a paragraph. And that, those results might not be perfect, but there are things you can do in terms of how specific you want the model to be. And this is part of the API where you could make that a lot better. And that's the sort of thing where that's a service you can charge for. And that's a service I have a feeling you will start to see popping up in in um in various various products. I was I was thinking about this like in terms of games and thinking about how many times have you picked up an RPG and it's got like you have no idea what's going on. Like imagine using a chat GPT API to remind you not just the story beats, like the scripted flag event, but like and then you went up the mountain and you got the Phoenix down from this chest, right? Or or kind of summarizing uh like lore in a video game. Like there are yep. a lot of really cool creative applications I can think of just beyond business uses. Oh, totally. I totally agree with you. And and I think that um that's what's exciting about this is that um you can you can see what people are going to potentially be building with this. Like I I know that a lot of like the uh fear and and, and discomfort with some of these things is like what impact is this going to have on people's jobs and and on, you know, uh creative people, writers and and editors and and artists and and whatnot. And I I'm not discounting any of that. But I would say the way that I've always tried to frame things in my mind, and, and when I started framing it this way, when I started looking at it this way, 
it kind of changed my perspective, which was what if instead of seeing this as an inherent threat, um, not to say that that it it won't be for for some people, you look at it as a as a tool and you look at this as a potential to create new types of art or new types of content. And that yeah, to no, me becomes really agree. interesting, right? Yeah. So I don't so, think it's it's lawyers versus chat GPT. I think it's lawyers with chat GPT versus right. lawyers without chat GPT. I think that's going to be the the way forward on this. Totally, totally. So one one of the things that that was released, and and in this case, this is an actual chatbot. So you know, but they have the money to do this. Is that Snapchat released its own chatbot powered by Chat GPT, and this is their my AI bot. Um, but they're only making it available to to Snapchat Plus. Um, users. And um, it's one of those things, um, like one of their things says, hey, like one of their examples they show is, you know, hey, what can I help you with? And then the person types in, can you write me a haiku about my cheese obsessed friend, Lucas? <laughs> and then the AI comes back, Lucas's love for cheese, Gouda Brie and Cambria, um, um, Camembert melts hearts, not just cheese. And, <laughs> and you know, this is some silly stuff. <laughs> and this is some silly stuff, but you can imagine What's you know that the Snapchat because they can anthropomorphize what the AI looks like and they can maybe be sillier with certain things. They could use the API and put in constraints in the model to have certain types of responses and and to maybe be implemented um, for um, other types of things. Uh, the, the Verge notes, and I think this is accurate that you know a lot of ChatGPT has become about productivity, whereas Snap is is treating generative AI like a persona. And and that's really interesting. Um, so I uh, I don't know. I think that the you know uh, Shopify it was also one of the partners um, that was announced um, with this stuff. And and I think that becomes interesting. Potentially, you could see again the, these are more business use cases. But you could imagine like Shopify is a really popular way for people to build um, like you know websites for for shopping things. That if you are having a way to potentially summarize or write descriptions for your products. Right. Um, like that could be a really cool thing uh, where you could say, OK, um, the, the model uh, ChatGPT's model is not here yet, but this is just a future idea of where these models could go, where you're saying, OK, um, uh, Microsoft actually announced a, a model this week that does something similar to this, where it can take images and start, you know, creating textual and, and kind of contextual content around that. So you could imagine, OK, I have a I have a image of a product and I maybe put in some words and and the you know tool is able to help me write a description of um what's happening to sell some somebody a product. So yeah. I don't know. I, I I personally think this is exciting. But the, the big thing for me is just the fact that having the API available at all, like in every time we've seen real big change happen in in um technology spaces and we've seen the the real transformative stuff, it's almost always been accompanied by an API. Because that's that's you know that was the promise of Web 2.0 and and even other things like letting people build on top of what you've already got, and uh, so that's what's exciting to me about this is that this is letting people build on top of of these models without having to necessarily pay their own um, money. Um, I will say, and and then we'll we'll, we'll move uh, to our first sponsor break. One of the the concerns um, about some of these things is about what happens to the data that you input into it. Mm-hmm. And and this is a valid concern. Um, Go, GitHub Copilot for Business, which again, disclosure is a product that my company um, uh, sells and offers, is a is a service like a GitHub Copilot is basically um, like a, a pair programmer 
using AI. And so I describe it as kind of like chat GPT, but for code. Um, it uses the the uh, Codex uh, uh, GPT-3 uh, model, which um, has been trained on source code, and it can give you very, very good suggestions um, and kind of autocomplete stuff for your, your source code, but it can also explain code to you, and, and it can even write, you know, code for you. Um, one of the big things that we have with, with like, for the GitHub Copilot for Business is it's very, very clear, um, and I mean, this is accurate for the personal version too, but, but it's especially, like, even double, triple down for the business version is that the code that you're creating and, and that you're using with Copilot is not going back into the new model, meaning it's not like your your secrets hmm. are going to be committed back into the model. Uh, oh, I people, didn't know that. Be, because people are concerned about that. They're concerned, uh, like Amazon and some other companies have banned the use of some of these tools because they're going, hey, ChatGPT by default is going to read everything that you're putting into it and it's going to go back into the model. So if you're using this for personal stuff or for business stuff, this could be a problem. Um, with the API, it is, is one of those things where um, you have to, uh, you know, allow it to do that. So, you know, people can, can turn off that feature and basically say, hey, this is not going um, to be allowed uh, to, um, you know, take our, our, our data um, without our permission uh, to feed it back into the model. And there might be some cases where you would want it, you know, you would want the model to get that information back because that is how it can get better. But there would be other cases where you could look at something and go, oh, okay, I don't really want um, this stuff that my users are, are inputting to be um, making things better because I, I'm concerned that proprietary information might be shared. So, yeah. so, so the customer has to opt in if they want to do that, um, which I think is uh, great. That's part of the API. Um, but I, I did just kind of want to want to mention that aspect of it. No, that's, I mean, I'm imagining like the lawyers, uh, so much what Frank does is like intellectual Absolutely. property with various yes. things. So I can imagine oh, yeah. being, uh, exposing people to liability. Oh, well, yeah, 100%. And it's in the terms of service, but what it does. So, uh, you know, it's pretty clear, but I think it's more of an issue of like, you have like the, the companies themselves who are sending out the notices, like don't use this, like for what Frank does, like no one at their office should probably be using straight up like consumer chat GBT. But if they wanted to use something like this, they would want to be using either um, uh, Azure's uh, OpenAI as a service implementation, which would be have even more like protections in place in terms of how data is uh, segregated and whatnot. Or they would want to make sure that they don't opt in, you know, when they're using the API, so <laughs> that 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 data wouldn't be shared. Like that that's absolutely the case. So that that the, but that's just something I wanted to note. Yeah. No. Well said. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Rocket Money. All right. So do you know how much your subscriptions cost? Because oh God. we all know, look, I am, we call it Christina Bucks because I just buy everything and I don't pay attention to a lot of stuff. But yet I sometimes need to figure out how much I'm spending and clamp things down. Most Americans think that they spend like $80 a month on subscriptions. I know I spend more than that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the actual cost is closer to $200, and that's for most Americans. So for me, we don't even want to talk about how much it is. Um, but if you don't know exactly how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, which, A, great name. Thank you for sponsoring us, Rocket Money, because <laughs> if you didn't sponsor the Rocket Podcast, I would be a little bit miffed. But uh, Rocket Money was formerly known as Truebill. 
And it's a personal finance app that lets you find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills all in one place. And what's great about this is that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they forget about. I know that this is me. Like I was just billed this morning, um, $300 for, um, a, a web hosting service that I don't even want because I'm moving hosts. And I thought that I had another day to cancel, or I thought that they would just shut off my account. They didn't. And they mm. did actually rebuild me. So now I'm, now I'm going to have to deal with the cancellation process. But this is where a service like Rocket Money is great. Because for instance, you subscribe to that streaming service just to watch that one show. And then you forgot about it. Or you had a free trial for that email service that you never even used. Well, what Rocket Money does is it will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so that you can stop paying the ones that you don't want. And then you can simply find the subscription you don't want and you can press cancel and then Rocket Money will cancel it for you. So you don't have to deal with long hold times with customer service or emailing back and forth. So they make canceling subscriptions as easy as clicking a button. Uh, over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving an average person of up to $720 a year, which is great. Um, so I have definitely had these situations and I, I've used Rocket Money. Uh, I need to use it more, but I've started to play with it since they've become a sponsor um, and I've been really impressed. Like I forgot that I had gotten my mom a Hulu subscription over Thanksgiving or Christmas oh. of 2021. And it was like a dollar a month. And then I'll, and I forgot about it. And my mom never used it. This was the thing. I got it for her. I sent her the login and she never used it. Also, because Hulu are still saying right now, knock on wood, I have them logged into my Hulu Plus account, which doesn't have ads on all of their devices. So it's one of those things where, you know, on the TV anyway, they, they don't need it. And she didn't use the service. Meanwhile, after that year ran up, I was getting charged like $15 a month. And I'm like, I'm not, what, what is this? And so Rocket Money found this instantly. And I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, I don't want to pay for this. And I was immediately able to cancel that recurring subscription. I wouldn't have even noticed this because it was not attached to an email that I usually use for those things. And so this was really, really great um, for, for me in that. But it also, again, like highlights the situation, like what I just ran into, where the the service that I'm gonna have to cancel for web hosting, you know, just, just charged me, you know, for a, an annual fee. Um, and uh, I don't know, you, Brie, I sign up for stuff all the time that I forget about. And oh, 100%. I don't, and, yeah. and, you know, um, I'm not the only person who's like this, I know, but I'm really bad at looking at my credit card bills every month because I kind of figure, oh, well, this is what I spend. And another, you know, uh, $20 or $40 or whatever isn't going to ping anything for me. But that stuff adds up. And, and you know, at, if, if you're thinking that you're spending a certain amount on services and you're really spending twice as much, it makes sense if you can cut that out. So stop throwing your money away cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash rocket. Great URL. That is R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash rocket. Rocketmoney.com slash rocket. Our thanks to Rocket Money for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, so um, we uh, we haven't talked about uh, FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried and crypto drama in a while, but um, they're not the only one that's looking kind of kind of scammy. So I think I was the one who mentioned back. 
I think it was back in November when um, some of the FTX stuff was starting to really break down um, that um, the, the the guy who runs Binance, which is the largest crypto exchange, FTX had been the second largest, was acting real, real, uh, like, proud of himself um, about, um, you know, he, he'd made an offer to potentially buy out uh, FTX, and then that didn't happen once he started to look into um, – uh, the actual books of FTX and and so uh, the the but I said I was like I don't know how much money and how sustainable Coinbase or not Coinbase I'm sorry I don't know how sustainable Binance actually is and and what their money situation is like and CZ who who runs uh, Binance um, there was a great uh, Forbes um, investigation that shows there's been asset shuffling there that's eerily similar to the maneuvers by FTX. Um, and uh, I'll just kind of read this from, from, the, from the top line of Forbes. In its latest backroom maneuver, Binance transferred $1.8 billion in stablecoin collateral to hedge funds, including Alameda uh, Research, which obviously was uh, part of the FTX <laughs> uh, scam, and Cumberland DRW, leaving its other investors exposed. So I I and this would have been kind of my fear last year is is that as as much as um you know the the head of Binance was trying to say oh we haven't been exposed at all I was like ooh do you really want to say that because I'm not sure uh because this is uh, an area where and now it's looking like reporting is coming out that a lot of people were really um getting sucked into a lot of this stuff and um there's there's a great article on um, on a CoinDesk and CoinDesk, I should note, and this goes completely against their own interests. CoinDesk has been doing great reporting on not just the FTX stuff, but also the the Binance stuff. And the reason I say it goes against their own interests is that by doing all of this investigative reporting and really hard hitting reporting about how all of this stuff is going on, every time they do that, it makes it harder and harder for CoinDesk to be sold, and the people behind CoinDesk really <laughs> want to sell CoinDesk. That's and a good so, point. Yeah. It, 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 and, and this has been reported by, I'm not the first person to make this observation. Other media people ha- made it before me. But I actually really respect that because I, I wouldn't necessarily hear Coindesk and be like, oh, yeah, they're going to have like the highest levels of, of journalistic integrity because most of the writers are allowed to own crypto and then write about it. And the disclosures are, are iffy. And uh, in contrast, most financial reporters are not allowed to own actively any stock for anything they write about. Um, and so, you know, I would, I've been really impressed by how hard they've been going after these exchanges, especially since it goes against their own interests. But you, you if, if you're stuff. taking the long-term view though, doesn't it make sense? I mean, you've, if you're taking the long view of cryptocurrency, like clearly there's every incentive out there to pump. This could be the next big thing. This is looking hot. And like, if you really believe that this is going to be an efficient store of value in the future, there's got to be some oversight and there's got to be someone asking some hard questions. So I, yeah, I, agree, I agree with that. you. Short, t- short term, it's terrible. I think there's a really principled journalistic look that like, if you truly believe that this has value, a, a proposition I think is increasingly unsure, um, you know, like, like th- this is a good, it gives oh, some yeah. credibility. In the oh, long no, and I don't disagree yeah. with that. I'm just saying yeah. I'm impressed. Because yeah. I would, I what I would expect here, and this is clearly not the case. But what I would expect is that even if the reporters wanted to do this, that the publication might not 
want to make its name right now 100%. by publishing this stuff. And yep. and and so I'm very very impressed with this. This this uh this op-ed um kind of explainer is by David Z Morris and 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 he kind of summarizes um the the Forbes article um which you know uh shared that in a single day when this was August 17th 2022 so this is right before the FDX Ponzi came um um you know crashing down 1.78 billion dollars worth of collateral moved out of Binance wallets intended to back stable coins particularly the the USDC um uh which which is Binance's wrapped version of uh, it's B USDC uh or you know um one of one of the stable coins which is a wrapped version of Circle's USDC and according to Forbes's on-chain analysis um the facts uh that Binance has not disputed 1.2 billion of that 1.7 billion of this was sent to trading firm Cumberland DRW and other amounts going to the now collapsed hedge fund Alameda Research, um, a- as well as uh, some other groups. So rather than backing the stablecoin as it was supposed to, it was instead invested in in these Ponzi's. Um, and uh, you know, this outflow uh, was not accompanied by a corresponding reduction of the supply of the stablecoin, which was, which is what should happen, right? Because the Stable coins, how they work is they're supposed to be pegged to dollars, supposed to have a consistent amount. So if you have one point, you know, two billion dollars that was supposed to be backing a stable coin that is no longer backing it, you would say, okay, well, then the supply of those stable coins has been um, reduced, and that was not the case. And Binance has had a, a bunch of kind of attempts to, you know, offer explanations, um, but as as CoinDesk uh, points out, they haven't been unified or consistent. And they haven't, you know, they don't make any sense. Um, and and in in what the fear here is that, you know, this shows that this could be like a, a major, you know, misuse of of customer funds. Yeah. Um. And so, um, this stuff scares me because again, this is the biggest uh, exchange, and and there are no signs that show that that it is facing like what happened with FTX. Um, or, or that they were operating the same way that FTX was, which was, you know, uh, largely kind of a, a, a Ponzi. Um, the more and more we kind of look at it, um, because all the money was going into the trading firm, and and uh, you know, uh, the, the the trades didn't work out. I don't know if it was a pure Ponzi in the Madoff and 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 Charles Ponzi sense or what, but but it didn't. You know, the the net result is is that um, the the amounts that they were showing that they had were did not exist. So I, I don't know if this is going to, if they had the, it doesn't seem like this has been the same sort of activity, but what it does look like is that they've been exposed to a significant degree that hasn't been previously covered. And that's, that, that's troubling to me because this, this exchange is so big. No, I, th- I think that's dead on. And I think, you know, if Binance were to suffer even a, uh, a something close to what happened to FTX, I think it would... Yeah, it, it's really hard to see like crypto coming back from here. It's like the the hotness, right? I think that would be like an almost permanent uh, blow to the industry, right? Have no, it would be like, I mean, it would be the Great Depression, of, kind of, kind of, of, of uh, crypto. The the thing I wanted to talk about here is like, look, obviously the one to one, like 
if this were a more regulated industry, right, losing, uh, not being able to clearly explain where almost $2 billion went, uh, that would be a major thing that would, like, certainly uh, flaunt some banking regulations Absolutely. for any kind of, uh, of um, you know, uh, more reputable or more um, established uh, uh, store of value. So I think all of us would agree that this is not the best. What I want to talk about, though, is the reaction to it. Yes. And this is a playbook that I'm really, really, really tired of seeing, um, especially the venture capital capitalist uh, class use. Now, before I say this, I just want to say, you know, I I know this is verboten to say in some progressive circles. I think venture capitalists serve a really important function for Silicon Valley. I think, um, like, obviously, there's a lot of techno-libertarianism that goes along with it. I don't subscribe to that. But I'm, I'm not someone that is like, oh, I hate VCs. They're all stupid. They're all terrible people, right? That, that's not my message here. I think they do something that's valuable. That said, there is a playbook that has been adopted from the reactionary fringes of American politics that, that the venture capitalists and Elon Musk and, and really the powerful in this field seem to be consistently using. And this is exactly what CJ, um, CZ rather, was using when um, this, this story came to light, right? So he comes forward, he sidesteps it um, by kind of going into some social justice stuff, like, oh, you're just attacking me for being Chinese, right? Uh, when it was completely irrelevant to what was going on, and the article itself did not really say anything that was um, you know, pointed in that direction. The other part is just dismissing it as FUD or oh, the media is against me. Oh, the media is against me. Oh, look at this media that's out there. Just attack the media, which again is a playbook directly from the most reactionary, uh, dishonest actors in American politics, right? Um, It's played out, y'all. And I, I understand it fits into this like victim complex you have about, oh, the whole world is against me. But I, I think the real message that I would have for you is it's it's not a credible way to respond to this stuff, right? Like journalists' role is to examine the facts and go out there. Certainly if you're running an exchange in the size of Binance, there's certainly a role in oversight of a free press and looking if what you're doing makes sense, um, you know, particularly because it's underregulated. Right. Um, I, I'm just I'm really tired of the self-pity from people who in every reasonable read of the situation should have a very aggressive level of scrutiny applied to their actions. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that what and, and there's a certain irony here, too, with with kind of the um you know, wanting to play the victim and and the obfuscation, uh, you know, um obfuscation of, of what's happened here, because the whole point of crypto that a lot of its uh, uh, you know proponents and adherents have pushed is transparency mm-hmm. and is the fact that everything is on the blockchain and so you can see what happens to things okay so that means that it's a lot easier for financial journalists to do investigations about what happened to certain funds which in theory means you should be more transparent about why money was was put in certain ways, and so that that to me makes the it makes it funnier, but also sadder that that this then becomes the response um, uh, from you know people like CZ and you know I was uh, I reread this week or uh, re listened to I, I both read and listened to the book. It's one of my all time favorite books. Um, it's called Ponzi Scheme. It's by uh, Mitchell Zukoff, and it is the story of Charles Ponzi. 
And it is a really, really, really great um, book that that goes through what happened in the summer of, of 1920 in Boston um, with with, with uh, the original. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, the the scheme existed before uh, Charles Ponzi, but but he was the one who really popularized it. And I what what I was struck by rereading the book. Um, it's on Audible, by the way. This is you know we're not not a sponsor, but I'm just giving this a plug. It's it's a great read if you want to read it, but it's also a really great listen. The uh, the narrator is fantastic. But back in the, in the twenties, you know, before the the crash in in in, uh, in twenty nine, the banking industry was unregulated, and so you had a lot of um, people like Charles Ponzi who were doing investments, like he was basically promising to double people's money in forty five days. And, uh, you know, so, you know, or, or give you not, not doubling the money, doubling the money, I guess, in 90 days, but would give you 50% interest in 45 days. And, um, you know, just ended up amassing, you know, like $15 million, um, uh, within just, you know, like six months of, of, of you know, from when he started and, and when it collapsed. And part of the reason that some of these things, the people seem more willing to invest in those back then was that banks themselves were unregulated and banks mm. themselves could fail. And so kind of interwoven, like it was kind of that perfect time of this. And, and it, it's hard not to draw direct parallels uh, between Ponzi schemes and, and crypto. Um, again, not saying they're the same thing, but just that you see a lot of the same people involved. The difference being, and, and this like gets the real parallel to your point, which is banking at this point is highly regulated, mm-hmm. but crypto's not. And so you see some of the same things that were happening in the 20s, not just with Charles Ponzi, but with a lot of banks that failed and that ultimately led to the Great Depression, um, where, you know, people are are able to to get away with things because they don't have to have the guarantees. Like, uh, you know, it, it's hard to kind of uh, conceive of this now, but but like FDIC backing is only, you know, 100 years. It's, it's less than 100 years old. And and so that but so for much of banking history, that was not a concept, right? So it it would make, you know, it wasn't guaranteed that if you put money in the bank, the bank would have the money when you went back. Uh, and so um, it's it's interesting to kind of look at that with with these exchanges because I I don't it, it's never been quite clear to me other than Coinbase, who look we've been critical of in the past uh, for some of their actions, but the one thing I've never been I've never been critical of them of is a they're a public company now, but even before that, like. They've always, to me, seemed like they are regulated as as well as one of these things can be. Um, part of that is because it's a U.S. company, and um, uh, but we, I mean, you know, you could have made the same argument, I, I guess, about FTX in some ways, but it's uh, a little bit different there. But it does make me kind of question. It's like, what is the ultimate fallout potentially going to be from these these unregulated banks? I mean, I, in my opinion, I think uh, I think it's I think it's going to further radicalize the generation of people that have really bought into this as a as a, a way forward, right? Um, I think there's a, a sense in the progressive left that it's going to there's almost like cheering um, cheering this on when it happens, Which is right? Awful, like in they're my gonna they're gonna wait. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Like oh, they're gonna wake up. They deserve this. I think that's a really uncharitable, um, mean perspective. I mean, from yeah. I, I think one of the things stories I heard over and over and over again running for Congress and, and talking to younger people is they have no faith that, um, you know, 
being an honest actor and pursuing a career is going to lead to any kind of financial stability uh, for them, right? So they are looking to, like, basically they're looking for the same leg up in the market that they saw their parents and grandparents get, right? And um, I think when this fails, I don't think they're going to turn to um, radical socialism to um, to move forward. I think they're going to become um, really angry and even more reactionary. Um, so yeah, in my view, it's, it's really scary. No, I agree. I I don't think that anybody should be cheering any of this stuff. We can take certain schadenfreude in maybe certain people having kind of reactions and whatnot. And and people aren't going to cry for, for the billionaires who hedged some bets and made some bad decisions, but we should be really careful about having too much pleasure in that because they're for those billionaires oftentimes represented lots and lots of little people and, 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 um, you know, people invested their money with them in in some cases for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, if you go into something like where to me, I, I I draw kind of a, a line between people who are trying to do day trading between different cryptos, uh, you know, on, on something like, you know, um, Robinhood and other platforms versus people that are potentially investing in some of these funds or giving money to, actual, you know, uh, uh, you know, more legitimate institutions that then are getting involved in some of these crypto things that could be exposed to, to these collapses and, and, um, and, and might not even know what that is, but, but even the individuals who make those decisions for whatever reason, it, because for a hundred years, people have kind of expected that, okay, well, the bank has my money. They're not going to lose my money. These aren't banks. Yeah. And and uh, it's it's disappointing to see the response uh, from from um, CZ. It's disconcerting to see that what, what Binance's exposure has been. Again, it's not in any way looking like they're going to have the same sort of collapse that FTX did. But one point two billion dollars that we know of and that's just what we know of of, of exposure is not nothing. And yeah. and uh, it, it does make you worry, especially with, you know, the the coin prices continuing to um, they've, they've stabilized somewhat, but they're definitely down from where they were, um, two years ago. It's not, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I I think of crypto, I know I've said this before and I know you probably agree with me, but I think if crypto is going to survive, there's going to have to be some, some regulation that's going to step in. Oh, I agree. Even, even at that point, I, I really worry that, it's almost like if you were to regulate it at this point, I worry you would be like giving an endorsement to a fundamentally uh, cancerous product, right? Because just so much would have to fundamentally change. I, I, I really, the place I'm at today is almost like we just need to label it like we do cigarettes and just make really, really, really sure the people that invest in it understand there's no regulation guaranteeing your money is going to be yeah. there. I would, um, I, I'd, I would agree with that. That's the best I can come up with, to be honest. I, I think that for individuals, I would agree with that. Where I would want to see regulation actually even more, I think, on the individual basis would be for the financial institutions that have made the the um, hedges. Yeah. Because I think that I, I would want some sort of guarantee on their end that if, you know, whatever institution um, I've invested in, if they have unbeknownst me put me into a crypto fund, and that has been exposed to some other things where, and I'm not just talking about like the the, the normal fall, rise and fall of, of cryptocurrency, but some of these these other aspects where, you know, investor funds are being used um, incorrectly, where they have enough capital to to make good, 
right? Where, where they can still uh, have to be responsible for, um, for the principal investment. Like that, that to me is where I would, I would really like to see some of those things. And then, and then to your point, having it very clearly labeled for regular people. Okay. If you want to trade in this stuff, if you want to get involved, there are no guarantees and this is a risk and it could pay off really, really well, or it could blow up in your face. <laughs> but, but what, what, what concerns me, and, and this is why things like, uh, you know, Binance concern me is that these are things that a lot of people, I mean, this is why FTX was, is such a big story is that there's so many other people who've been potentially exposed uh, to it who might not even realize um, be, because, you know, of, of, of how their own investments have been handled, who, who didn't purposely put money into FTX, but could still have been impacted anyway. Very well said. All right. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. So Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even content you create. Squarespace has you covered. All right. So with Squarespace, you can sell your products on an online store. We were talking about you know, maybe creating an online store earlier. So whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. And what's great about this is that you can get started with a best-in-class website template and you can customize it to fit your needs. It's really easy as, you know, it's as easy as browsing the category of your business and finding that perfect starting place. And then you can customize that design with just a few clicks. Uh, what's also great is that if you want to blog, because, you know, blogging is is back a little bit, newslettering, whatever you want to call it, you can get blogging. Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. You can even do podcasts. I've actually um, had a Squarespace site. I still have it active. Um, this is probably one of those things that I should, I should look at, um, reviving because I'm not going to, I don't want to cancel my account, but I, but I should look at reviving or, or rebranding. But I started a podcast a number of years ago with my, my good friend, Allie, um, about the bachelor. And I used Squarespace for our site and also to host our podcast. And even though I haven't touched that podcast in years, that podcast is still active. The hosted content is still on Squarespace. It's still in iTunes and everywhere else. And the design, frankly, like six years later, still looks really, really good. Um, and it's a really easy platform to use. And the reason I chose Squarespace when I started um, that podcast was because I just wanted what was the easiest way for me to do it. I had capabilities of doing something more complex. I didn't want more complex. I wanted something that I knew was going to work, that I knew would be easy to do, and that I knew would be effective. And this is yeah. why Squarespace is great. One of the reasons we use it, um, I, I feel like this is really under undervalued. Like, so I have for my 401c, uh, for my uh, C4, right, I've got to build a site this week. And, right. you know, I certainly have the money for this project to go pay a web designer, you know, $5,000 to design something that's really you know, grand and efficient and, and all of that stuff. The reason I use Squarespace for this stuff is the ability to pass projects on to whoever may be working here in the future. This is really, really underrated because if someone else were to get my job, right, they don't have to go hunt down a web designer Absolutely. that worked with me five years ago and get the, you know, get the keys and get the the hover account to, you know, have control of the domain name and then pay them a huge contract to alter uh, 
uh, and update it. No, it's right there. It's web-based. Anyone that's reasonably technologically literate can pick it up in five minutes. And just to be really honest with you, like I, 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 I when I sit down and code it, I'm going to track my hours. And I'm going to pay myself a, a hefty paycheck, right? Like I'm always the last one to get paid uh, for my, uh, you know, for my, uh, for my work. Like my team gets paid first. But you know, it, it's something I can do. It's going to be better for the project. I uh, just do it on Squarespace, and you know, I'll, I'll get paid for for doing that work. And it's just, it makes so much more sense for organizations like mine. No, I totally agree with you. And I think that's a great point about not having to track down, um, you know, a, a developer, figure out how things are done that is all going to be on the platform. But also there are lots of people um, who are who are experts at using Squarespace that if you did need to hire someone to do something, you could, or you could go through um, the steps yourself because it is easy to customize. You're not having to worry about how do I manage this server? How do I get into this server? Um, it, it, it's really, really great. So if you want to get started with Squarespace, you can head to squarespace.com slash rocket for a free trial, no credit card required. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code rocket to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain that is squarespace.com slash rocket. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for rocket. So squarespace.com slash rocket offer code rocket. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, now it is time for us to get into some dessert. Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes, she is doing everything she can to save me $500 free, and I could not be happier. <laughs> can I? Okay, this is so incorrect for me to say. I'm going to say it anyway. I'm sorry. This is just my honest. This was my honest first reaction when I read this. So I saw this story. Yeah, I'm like, has Christina figured out a way to knock <laughs> this up? Like, is something is, this, is something going on? Like, like so just so people don't know, she's had a second child and she's arguing that she should, while she adjudicates her her appeal, she should be able to stay out of prison. And I'm like, she's in cahoots with Christina. I know. Absolutely. That, so. Absolutely. I I'm not I'm not even gonna complete look, I wish that I could have planned this with her, but I could not have asked for anything better. I was like, oh, this actually has a decent shot of working. <laughs> so uh, Elizabeth Holmes was was found guilty on uh, about half of her, her uh, charges, and she supposed she was sentenced to 11 years in jail, which is more than I thought she would get. Uh, Brie and I famously bet $500. I bet $500 that she would never um, do prison time. And uh, we have we've decided to continue to hold off uh, payment on that until she sets foot in prison, which oh was supposed God. to be at the end of April. A long and time ago, right? It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was supposed to be at the end of April, which is which is you know a month and a, it was just two months from now. And so I was I'm going to be honest with you. Until this filing, I was like, well, you know what? I'm I'm going to have to pay five hundred dollars for Brie. <laughs> but now this saga continues to get, you know, like drawn out. So uh, she she filed paperwork uh, basically saying that, you know, we, what we found out during her initial appeals process was that she was pregnant with her second child. So um, to, to, to go back, uh, Elizabeth Holmes was pregnant with her first child during the trial or, or in the lead up to the pretrial uh, that delayed pretrial um, of, of um, her, her, her criminal lawsuit and then she actually had the, the baby and had to 
have certain, you know, like breaks and whatnot so that she could breastfeed and take care of the child during the trial itself, uh, which uh, I still think is just a standout A plus move. <laughs> uh, like, wow. And then she went ahead and, sh- and she, she revealed her pregnancy in um, uh, some of her appeals documentation uh, or some of her sentencing uh, documentation, I guess it was before the appeals process. And we were like, wow, she is really, it sure looks like somebody got pregnant to help them avoid jail time. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm not saying that's what happened. Saying that people could look at that. I think could, there's could a look reasonable way. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm going to say I think she did. I, I do. I mean, I I don't know. I think you'd make the case that she thought that she was going to get off and was planning her life and was like, look, I'm I'm, you know, almost 40 years old. And um, this is this is going to be the only time that I have maybe to to have another child. Fine. Um, then the 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 state uh, considered her a flight risk and was trying to get her order to court early, claiming that that uh, she you know had um, uh, tickets to to go to Mexico um, her, uh, response to that is to say that this was a ticket for a wedding that had been booked by her partner before the verdict. Um, I mean, it, this isn't unreasonable. I don't know what's, what's true. What's not. I, I, I don't think that even Elizabeth Holmes thinks that she could have flown commercial to Mexico and not been caught. I mean, like that, that just like, to me, like if you're going to leave the country, this you're is the woman be on a private plane. thought that Balto could be sold as a search and rescue okay. wolf while All he's right. taking oh, a dolt in front of Henry Kiss- Kissinger. <laughs> this is true. Poor so. Balto. Poor Balto. R.I.P. Balto. But you're not wrong. I'm just saying I, her lawyers are very good. And I can't imagine that her lawyers would be like, Elizabeth, don't don't book the, the getaway co- flight commercial. That's all I'm saying. Um, so uh, her response to that is to say, this was booked before the verdict we've been hopeful that I would be found not guilty and I'd be able to go to this wedding. As soon as we were alerted to this, we canceled everything. Who, whatever the, the truth is, you know, it may be truth is somewhere in the middle, regardless. Um, the, the latest uh, part of her appeals process is to basically say she's just given birth and as a result does not want to, uh, uh, start her, her prison sentence, um, of 11 years during, <sighs> during the appeals process, which I have to be honest with you is kind of compelling. Like I'm not disagreeing. Uh, uh, it's just uh, like, come on! It, it's. That, I mean, she's a great scammer. I want some justice. I want. Yeah, it, it feels like a scam. I don't believe totally. that this is not a scam. Um, so I was looking at the stats on this uh, beforehand. I was really surprised about this. Uh, so we have 5.6 uh, million people in prison in the United States. Um, obviously a horrific number. I don't think anyone on the show uh, supports the prison industrial complex. What really surprised me is there are only 500,000 of those that are women uh, that are in prison in the United yep. States. It, it kind of makes sense because like dudes commit sorry, uh, 90% of all violent crime. So obviously there's a, a disproportionate um, like population represented there. But it, it's, like, it's kind of sending the message like, hey, you want to get out of prison? Just, uh, you know, uh, have some kids. I, I don't know. It kind of seems a little weird to me. Okay, I watch a lot of Love After Lockup. And, and I watched before that. <laughs> I watched the This is a show? Whole, this is a real oh, yeah. show? This is a real show. It's called Love After Lockup. And, and it's usually about, uh, sometimes about people who have relationships after um, they get out of prison. But a lot of times it is people who 
are still in jail and are having relationships with people on the outside. And sometimes they have multiple relationships with people on the outside, which then they you find out about when they get out. And it turns out that, like, there's the baby mama and there's, like, the girl who uh, is is uh, been saving herself for him and uh, decided to marry him, even though we had the whole family. It's it's a great show. Uh, cannot recommend it highly enough. It's, it's true trash, though. But I've also watched a lot of... Um, uh, uh, I think it was called Lock Up. It was an MSNBC show about like basically took place inside prisons. And so I I, I love a good like prison, uh, you know, kind of documentary and whatnot. This is not the first time that people have tried to kind of pull this scam and be like, oh, well, they're not going to put me in jail to have a baby. Plenty <laughs> of women, unfortunately, do have, have babies inside a, a, a prison. That is a, a, an unfortunate truth. And it's it's a really sad situation uh, you're right. Like the vast majority of people who are um, incarcerated are are men, um, uh, for for whatever reasons. Sorry. this might be the case. I was looking up to see <laughs> if Cody Co had a video of Love After Lockup, and my phone went off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no Cody problem. Cody is like the king of doing reality show. You you watch him on YouTube, right? Like, oh yeah, so absolutely. Good. absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I'm going yeah. to see if Cody Co had covered Love After Lockup, and then I accidentally hit the video. Not a problem. Um, so that that is a real thing. Um, but but I do, you know, look, she's a different type of criminal which means the rules apply somewhat differently to her, unfortunately. Um, mm. I, I don't know if they're going to be open to this or not. I will say, and this isn't just because I don't want to pay you $500, <laughs> I, do, I do wonder, like, put, putting the Elizabeth Holmes of it aside, like, if you have a, um, a person who has, um, strong, has a strong appellate case, and, and, and I don't know if the court thinks that, that her lawyer's just, um, you know, uh, appellate reasons are, are strong or not, but if you have some strong grounds for appeal and you have um, the mother of two small children, including a newborn. I don't necessarily know if, if I can be like, again, putting the Elizabeth Holmes aspect completely aside. I don't know if I could be against allowing the person to uh, continue, especially for a nonviolent crime to continue to, you know, like be um, out on bail and, and under the terms of, um, that that have been imposed upon her, not being able to leave, um, you know the the country and and having to follow certain guidelines. Um, I don't know if I opposed to to, to deferring sentencing or, or not sentencing, but deferring the start of of jail time uh, until the appellate issues are are handled. Assuming you think that there's a strong, assuming that the court finds a strong a strong case for that. I don't know if they found that though. Well, I, I mean, I'm not saying they yeah. have, but, but but this is the question. I mean, this is this is this is the and I'll have the documents linked. But this is the question I think before the court, which is to say, well, we have these strong appellate arguments. If the court finds that those are are strong and and that they potentially could, you know, lead to to um, some sorts of actions, does that you know if if it's not something that's like a, a super cut and dry thing? And I don't know because there would be these would be legal arguments, right? About, about yeah. things, about witnesses and about maybe procedural stuff. And so I don't know what aspect of this would, would work, but I, I, I don't know, like, again, putting her aside, if I could necessarily be against saying, okay, we'll wait until at least the first part of this process um, has been figured out before we send a, a mother of two small children I, I just want to hear you swear under podcast oath that you're not somehow behind this. That's just all. I, I swear. The legal thing will I, run its course. I wish that I was. Yeah. I wish that I had been smart enough to think of this because oh honestly, never in my wildest dreams did I think. And I know that she's 
she's the goat. We know that she is like the best scammer of all time. But even I didn't think that she would get pregnant a second time and then have the baby before she was sent before she uh, had to report for sentencing. Right. You know, and and be able to use that as an excuse to continue to boff off like D-Day. I just I I I can't I can't help but what, be in, what be i can't figure out is i mean it just seems to me like obviously i'm not a parent you're not a parent but it seems to me very clear that parents have extreme urges to be near their children and an intense like suffering when they're not totally like, in their lives right that seems very very clear to me it also seems clear to me that she had had one child already and understood like that draw firsthand. Absolutely. So having a second child, what just really stuns me is you're making a decision to, assuming it's not a, a planned pregnancy, but it just seems like you're, you're making a decision to have double the heartbreak. Oh Yeah. Uh, it just, it, that's, that's what I can't get past because it seems like if she's not a psychopath, that is a formula to have your life be miserable at a level that just seems like, like you couldn't take it. Does, does that make sense? No, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. It, it It's inconceivable to me to be completely honest. Again, we're not parents and, and, but, but, you know, um, knowing a lot of parents and, and, and seeing kind of the pull of this, it does seem inconceivable to me that you would get pregnant, um, uh, assuming that, that, you know, uh, this was, was, was a planned, uh, um, ordeal, which, you know, by all accounts it was that you would, you would choose, uh, to, to try to get pregnant while you were in the middle of a major, major criminal investigation. Like that, that, that in and of itself would seem risky for me, even if you put in kind of the age things, um, uh, related to it and wanting to kind of go on with your life, that would just to me seem to be really, really uh, risky for all the reasons you outlined. And then doubly so if you then chose, you know, so so she has the baby. We, uh, the the court finally did not say when, but presumably that the baby was had between, um, I guess when the first uh, kind of a stuff was filed, which I think was in like a November or December. Um, and, um, and now, so, so she's had the baby within the last few months, which means, um, that she was, uh, I'd have to do the math, but, um, it does seem like she, she potentially could have been pregnant, um, after, uh, the right. verdict. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so it, at the very least she, she was pregnant during the trial. You know what I mean? Like it was one or the other, it was right at the end of the trial or, or, you know, after the verdict. So it, it is, um, that's unfathomable to me, uh, for, for all the reasons that, that you outlined, like that really doesn't, uh, seem to make sense, um, why someone would, would, would choose to do that. I think another thing that's really surprising to me is there, there are a lot of studies that show like high levels of stress, making it a lot harder to get pregnant. Right. Right. So, I mean, look, obviously everybody's different. Um, but it's just, like, wow. I mean, did she think, I, I don't know. It just, it makes it that much more mathematically improbable that this wasn't planned in some way. Uh, to, totally. To my mind. Um, oh, uh, no, absolutely. But, but also just, it, it, it kind of underscores to me. And I think this is what's so fascinating about her. And, and I think that the, uh, the dropout, um, did a really, really good job 
highlighting this. And, and no, she was found guilty in 2022 or 2021 rather. So she, oh, wow. okay. So, so she got pregnant after the, the, the sentence and let me, hold on, let me Google this. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, she was, um, convicted on January 3rd, 2022. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is over a year ago. So by everything that we've seen, there is no way that she didn't get pregnant until after the verdict. Right. So that's insane. It, it's just, it, it, I, you know, just to give every benefit of the doubt, which she probably doesn't deserve here, you know, she does have some, she has some conservative bents to her, and it's not impossible. Like, obviously, like planning a pregnancy is a deeply, deeply personal decision, right? So I don't want to like. Yeah, say I don't. I, yeah, exactly. Saying, and I'm not. I'm not even trying yeah. to like. I'm not. Yeah, I, I, but but I'm just saying like. It seems improbable. It seems improbable. I, well, I think there are reasonable questions to be well, asked I'm, well, about how this happened. Totally, I but think. I'm I'm just saying the fact fact of the matter is she was found guilty on right. January. Uh, early January 2022. She was sentenced in November. So she was became pregnant between the the sentence between the the conviction and the sentencing date. Um it, it, it for her to already have the baby now. That to me is just especially when you already have a child like that's that's crazy. Like you've just been convi- you've just yeah. been you've just been convicted of of a crime. You might be hoping for no jail time, but that that seems risky. But and this was the point I was going to make that I think the dropout pointed out well. She's this. She seems to be the sort of person who is always willing to just have a strong belief in herself and things working out, and and just kind of persevering through impossible situations. Yeah. So we will see because my my five hundred dollars has remained. The whole reason <laughs> I did it is because I don't have faith in the system. And and again, I, this bolsters my case, which is they will not send this rich white woman who has two children um, to, to jail. Uh, but we will see if, if, if they, you know, agree with, with this petition or not. Uh, but, uh, if she does have to report to jail, uh, on April 27th, I will very happily, um, send you $500. But until then, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I'm going to spend this on. It's going to be the sweetest. I may just frame it. For honestly, honestly. Well, you know, well, here, here's what I, here's what you can do. I want you to spend it, but I, I will, I will make you like a facsimile check. Yes. And that you can have framed. Because this is honestly, I've never stressed about 500. Like even getting paid from uh, for, for my Mac Life columns was easier than getting this $500. So, honestly, um, and, and, yeah. and I, I, I don't make bets that I, that I am unable or unwilling to, to pay. I just, the reason that I've like held up on this is because I know, I know that she's tricky. <laughs> this, 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 this reinforces why I didn't just immediately pay the, the, the money as soon as she was sentenced because I was like, no, no. <laughs> there's, there's, there's always something. I, I've watched these scammers for too long. It's like it Ken Lay dying before he had to like report to jail. Like, and 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 did he die? Did he? Was he just? I mean, I think he actually did. But like, right. you know, you had those questions. So like, you never know with these people. So we 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 will continue. All right. All right. Let's talk about Operation Simone. Okay, well, the for, next well, for, segment. Yes. Okay, yes. All right, we are we are going long because Simone is not here to keep us on track. Um, <laughs> this uh, that's going to do it for us this week on Rocket. Um, it, stay tuned uh, for our boosty segment, Operation Simone. If you are a Rocket booster, if you want to be a Rocket booster, you can go to 
relay.fm slash membership for $5 a month. You get ad-free shows. You get to hear more nonsense and extra helping of dessert, um, which, which this week is going to be a very fun segment um, about a, about Simone de Rochefort, who's not here. Um, also, Don't tell her. Don't I, tell her. I was going to say, if you are a listener, we very much hope that you will not tell her what we are talking about until, like, give just give us, like, Give, give us give, a week. Give, give, give us a week, week. Give us a week. Give us a few days because there's a very good chance she's never going to hear this. And that is very, very fun. So um, I, uh, I, 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 I'm excited about that. Uh, Bree, what are you up to this week? Oh, God. Uh, so I am doing the GDQ uh, Super Mario 2 speed run tomorrow, which I'm okay. very, very excited about. Follow me on Twitter. I will drop the link for that. Please, please, please watch me. This is literally a Super Bowl equivalent of of the of a speed run, and it is 25 years of work that I've put into this. So uh, please come watch me. I'm the second fastest in the entire world at this, which is Gotta tell you, that takes a lot of work because a lot of yeah, people play Super Mario too. Um, the other thing is, I'm debating uh, on Chud Logic's stream today, um, which is scary. <laughs> so uh, come wish me luck on that. Or I guess by the time this is aired, uh, it could have gone horribly wrong, and that will be a train wreck that you will see uh, on Twitch. But look forward to that. I love that. And uh, let's just go ahead and um, uh, say, uh, what else are you doing this weekend? Because isn't this a really big weekend for you? Uh, it's next weekend. Next oh, weekend is Scream Weekend. weekend. Next weekend is Scream Weekend. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. 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 Sorry for getting ahead of myself. All right. So um, uh, uh, watch uh, Bree's Twitter to see uh, her speedrun stuff and her debate. Um, I am working this week. I'm getting some, some stuff, uh, you know, kind of figured out. I'm going to be in Pasadena next weekend. So I'm I'm preparing for for commerce there. I will be at the Southern California um, Linux Expo. So if you are at scale for any reason, Rocket Rules do apply. We'll mention this next week too, but Rocket Rules basically meaning if you see me in public and you say, hey, Christina, I listen to Rocket, I will buy you a drink. Uh, It used to be you needed to wear our merch, but we didn't have merch for a long time. Speaking of that, rocket-merch.com if you want to buy our t-shirts. We need to do a better job about promoting this stuff, but it's it's good stuff. Um, And... um, Brie, where can people find you online? Uh, Brianna Wu on uh, on Twitter. I need to find a way to like get my Mastodon more easily linked because I'm just more active over there. But I'm Brianna Wu on Mastodon. Uh, just look through Christina's friends and you'll find me. Yeah, I think I think she's at Brianna Wu at mstdn.social. DN. yeah. Yes. Um, I am at film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram, and I am at film underscore girl at mastodon.social. Like Brie, I'm also been more active on Mastodon. It's I've been having a good time there. Um, I'm trying to figure out a way because it does feel like the whole like cutting off the the API for bots and stuff. It feels like that is they're, they're just retconning that and and they're yep. just like pretending like that never happened, which means that I might be able to use a cross-posting tool that I can self-host myself, Ooh. which will make things easier. Never fear. I'm not going to post the exact same content. This would be an idea where I could use a hashtag to selectively choose what play, what content I wanted to post both places. Um, but uh, you can find Simone at Doom Quasar on Twitter um, uh, and Instagram. Um, also, you can find my videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash GitHub, including a new episode of The Download, which is going to go up this week. It's my uh, weekly um, dev show. And uh, if you like this episode, please give us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or you know Spotify or, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us out. 
as I said before, you can um, subscribe to our uh, Boosty segment at uh, relay.fm slash memberships and, um, and support us that way. We really appreciate your support. It allows us to uh, talk about these sorts of things, uh, more ridiculousness, more in depth, and, and also um, bring on more guests. Um, that's going to do it for us. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>